0: Amen to that. Find Psalm 16 this morning, Gateway Family. Psalm number 16, as we continue our journey through the Psalms. So you find Psalm 16, I want to consider the word confident. To be confident in something, or to have confidence in something. We talk about it, we use that word a good bit. What does it mean to be confident in something? It, mean, it means that you believe you can rely on someone or something. Confidence is a belief that you can rely on someone or something. It's trust. It's certainty. Now, confidence, friends, can be good or it can be bad. It all depends on what the object of your confidence is. We've all met people who put their confidence in the wrong things. And if we're honest, in our points in our lives, we put our own confidence in the wrong things as well. If we put our confidence in our health, it can quickly fail. If we put our confidence in our friends, they can turn on us. If we put our confidence in politicians, not sure why we would, but they can lie to us and break promises. If we put our confidence in... The economy, it can turn on us. If we put our confidence in changing ourselves or other people through programs or new resolutions, we see they quickly don't fix the problem. And if we're so prone to do, which we are to do, it's put our confidence in ourselves, we see how quickly we fall short and fall if we're putting our confidence in ourselves. Because there's many things that are wrong to put our confidence in. But there are things that are right to put our confidence in. And the Psalms beautifully remind us of some things about which we can with certainty... Be really confident, and so today and for the next two Sundays, we're coming to a genre of psalms called the confidence psalms. These are psalms to where the author proclaims confidence, but in the right things, and it encourages us to put our confidence not in all those things I mentioned that can fall and fail, but to put our confidence in that which is the right thing to put our confidence in. So we're going to start this morning with Psalm number sixteen. I want to ask you this morning this question before we read: Are you confident today? Are you absolutely sure today of God's care for you? Are you confident today in God's care for you? Friends, life can be hard. We saw that a few weeks ago in Psalm number 3, that God has never promised that life would be easy for us. Life is filled with trials and difficulties and suffering. And so, but friends, in the midst of our hard days, do we still have confidence that God is caring for us, even in the hardships that we face? And friends, not just generally, but today, where you're sitting today whether it's a good day or a hard day for you, do you know with confidence today, with absolute certainty that God cares for you personally this day? So we read Psalm 16, I want you to look for David's attitude. Does David have confidence in God's care? And if so, how is David confident in God's care? So let's come to Psalm number 16. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? What a treasure we have in God's words written down for us to see. Psalm 16, the words will be on the screen for you. I'm reading out the English Standard Version. Psalm 16. A mictom of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord... For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Would you pray with me? Father, once again, we are so thankful this morning that you've given us your word that you've breathed out these words for us. And I pray today they would be nourishment for our soul, that God, today we would see more of your greatness and more of who you are. God, I pray today through your word, we would stand in greater awe of who you are and of your great care for us, your children. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. One thing I want you to see from Psalm 16 this morning is simply this. We can be confident in God's care for us. We can be confident in God's care for us. For instance, confidence is not a self-confidence. This is not a, it's a hard day, so I'm just going to pull through and try hard, and I believe it, I'm going to be okay. This is a Godward confidence in what God is doing for us. This is a confidence that's not circumstantial. It's confidence that's possible in the midst of the greatest trials and hardships. We can still be confident in God's care for us. We can have complete trust and reliance upon our God's unfailing care for us, His children. Just see that in this psalm. So let's go back to the beginning of this psalm where we can see that we can be confident in God's care for us. So start at the very beginning. I call it affectionately verse zero here, the little subtitle before we begin verse one. Notice at the beginning it says it's a mixed tom of David. What in the world is a mixed tom of David? Well, we're not confident what a mixed tom is. There's probably about eight different theories out there about what a mixed tom is. But the most compelling one is if you look at the word and similar words in the Hebrew, Similar words mean an inscription. Most likely what I believe this means is this was a prayer that David prayed, but it was written out for others to be encouraged by as well. If this is in fact the case, this inscription would have been put in the temple so people coming to worship God could see a prayer written before them to encourage their own faith. And that's what these confidence psalms are really all about. Seeing someone else walking through hardships but being confident in God and that being something that God sovereignly uses to stir our own faith and build up our own faith Towards him. This is a mixed time of King David, the king of Israel, at the time. And look now at the, the verse one and what he says. This is King David's words to the Lord. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Friends, David has some type of need. We're not told what it is, but there's something going on, some hardship in his life, to where he cries out, preserve me, O God. The word preserve means to guard. It was used in the time to describe shepherds guarding, preserving their sheep from the attack of the wolves or from enemies or people trying to hurt them. It was a word that was used at the time to speak of guards who protected kings from people who wanted to kill the king. David's in some type of difficulty here where he cries out to God, preserve me, guard me, protect me from whatever harm is coming. And so in his desperation here, he runs to the Lord and he says to the Lord, in you I take refuge. In you, I find safety. He's running to the Lord because of whatever hardship is in his life. And when he runs to God, something drastic changes in his life. So you got in verse 1 here, preserve me. Now go down to verse number 8 here and look at what he says. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. All of a sudden, now seven verses later, he's confident. He says, I will not be shaken. Literally, it means I will not be moved. He's saying in a way here, he's confident that God will, in fact, preserve him. So don't miss this. He begins with verse 1, this cry of desperation. God, preserve me. And here in verse 8, he goes, God is going to preserve me. I will not be shaken. What changes? How does his desperation go to confidence? We'll see that in just a minute. But notice how his confidence changes him. Look at what happens here at the end of verse 8. I shall not be shaken. Then verse 9. Therefore... What happens is like, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. He went from desperation, not just confident in God. Now he has joy. He's found the help he needs. He's reminded that God cares for him and his whole being rejoices. His heart is glad. He's not just okay anymore. He is actually finding joy in God's care for him. And don't miss it. His situation did not change. This newfound joy we have in verse 9 is not because his circumstances around him were different. He's still in the same place he was in verse 1, but his heart attitude has changed because he's run to the Lord, because something has changed in his life. He now just not has confidence, he has joy in the Lord. That raises a huge question for us, what changed in David's thinking? What changed between verse 1 and verses 8 and 9? Because the reality, friends, is we're going to face hardships as well. We're going to face trials as well. We're going to face difficulties and where do we find that confidence that David has here? How do we take our own desperate Christ, Lord, and how do we anchor them in confidence as well? How did he change? Well, this is so important what happens in verses 2 through 7 because there's so much misunderstanding today of how Christians change and how followers of Christ change. There's so much teaching out there that you just get up in the morning and just choose positive thoughts and you'll be okay for the day. Or people who will teach you to get up and claim your victory for today, or people who will say, just wait for your miracle around the corner. It's coming. That's not what Scripture teaches us, friends. That may sell books and sell TV programs and sell good music, but friends, that's not what the Word of God teaches us. What does David do when he goes from, preserve me, God, I'm desperate, to I have joy and confidence? What happens? He focuses on God's character. He doesn't claim a victory. He doesn't just believe something good is coming. He focuses on the character of God, who God is and what God does. David became confident in God's care for him when he focused on the nature of God. And for us, the same is true. We can be confident in God's care for us, even in the greatest suffering and trouble, if we'll focus our attention on God's character, who He is and what He does. This psalm is all about who God is. The psalm is all about his character. There's more than 15 references to God in these short 11 verses. David is pausing and reflecting and meditating about the nature of God. And recording those for others to see, so their confidence can be built up not in something they conjure up, but their confidence being in who God is and what he does for us, his children there 's eight things I want you to see that David meditates on in the character of God here, eight attributes of God, if you will, attributes means his characteristics, how you describe the nature of God now david doesn 't list them in a numeric order here he doesn 't work with a bullet point list here for us. this is a poem this is Poetry, so he expresses these in poetic images for us. But as we take apart the poem and look at it, he holds up at least, there may be more, but at least what I found, eight different attributes, characteristics of God. And when we meditate on these characteristics of God, it takes us from desperation to confidence in God's care for us. I want us to look at each of these eight briefly and how focusing on that part of God's character changes and grows our confidence. So number one, I want you to see in this psalm. First of all, in God's characteristics, God is faithful. God is faithful. By that, I mean he will always do what he says he will do. And he will always do what is right. Where is that in here? Look at verse 2. David says, I say to the Lord. In your Bible, you see that Lord is capitalized here. We've seen this in many of the Psalms. This means what we translate Lord is the name Yahweh, the covenant, the revealed name of God. When the Jewish people thought about God... A God who keeps his promises, a God of covenant faithfulness, a God who always does what he says he will do. The name they dwelt in was the name of Yahweh. This is the covenant name of the Lord. And so when David approaches God here after his desperation to focus on the Lord, he starts with addressing God by his covenant name, Yahweh, the God who is the faithful one who will always keep his promises. Friends, if we focus on the faithfulness of God, it will grow our confidence in his care for us. How? Because the faithfulness of God reminds us that God will always keep his promises. And the scripture is full of so many promises. Promises like, I will never leave you or forsake you. Promises of peace. God, and we go on and on with all the promises of the word of God. And the faithfulness of God reminds us that no matter what's happening circumstantially around us, we can believe that God will do what he said. And he will care for us just as he has promised. God is faithful. Second of all, I want you to see that God is relational. Look at verse 2. I say to the Lord, you were my Lord. Now, we use a different word for Lord here. The first word, Lord, in all caps is Yahweh. The, the Lord here with lowercase is master, boss, the one I follow. David is approaching Yahweh, the creator, the great I am, the one who created a billion trillion stars at the work of his fingers. David approaches him and says, you, the infinite one, you are my Lord, my boss, my master, the one I follow, the one I know. Because David is in relationship with Yahweh, with the great I am. He follows him and he even receives good things from him. We call those blessings. We saw that when we studied Ephesians, that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God is not just infinitely big, he's relational here. When we focus on the fact that God is relational, it grows our confidence in his care. Because it reminds us we're not alone. It reminds us no matter what we're going through, God is there with us. It reminds us that we can talk to God no matter what we're facing. It reminds us that God blesses us with everything that we need, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It reminds us that God cares because he loves us. God is faithful. God is relational. There's a third attribute of God that David runs to here. There's not one that we in our culture like to run to, and that's the attribute that God is just. God is just. That means he's holy and he's righteous. And because he's holy and righteous, he hates sin. He must punish sin, and he certainly will punish sin. God is just. Look at where David brings this to to bear for us. Verse number 4. It says, "...the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply." and drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. David's saying he's not going to fall into the temptation to run after the idolatry that is all around him. Those temptations can be so appealing, but David reminds himself that that sin brings sorrow. Verse 4, The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. But the reality is, as we'll see in a few weeks when we hit Psalm 73, those sorrows may not multiply in this life. That the ultimate sorrow comes when we fall into the folly of sin and run away from God, ultimately the sorrow comes of sin bringing separation from God. The just judge must punish sin, and those who run away from him, not run towards him, will face eternity apart from him where sorrows will multiply. God is just. Now how in the world does that help us grow in our confidence of God's care for us? It reminds those of us who know God that our sin has been dealt with. That God cares for us so much that he doesn't treat us like our sins deserve. He doesn't give us sorrows that multiply because we're running away from him. He gives us blessing upon blessing. What we sang earlier in the song, Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy now seated at your table, we are reminded of God's care for us because he loves us so much. He rescued us from a life of growing sorrows and ultimately separation from him. and He has drawn us to himself and seated us at his table. It also gives us hope in another way and a reminder of his care in another way. Because many times in life, we will face suffering because of the sins of others. And we get to Psalm 73 in several weeks. We'll see the psalmist wrestling with that. Why do the wicked prosper and I'm suffering when I'm innocent? God's justice reminds us that all sins will be punished. That justice will one day happen. That there's no wrong that's done in this life that people are going to get away with. Though it may seem like it for years to come. That God is just and there will be a day of reckoning where all wrongs are made right and justice will happen. And we can trust and put our confidence in that even if we're experiencing unjust suffering now. God is just, and that grows our confidence in his care for us. So, God is faithful, God is relational, God is just. Number four, this one's amazing. God is all satisfying. God is all satisfying. Look at verse number five. I love this verse. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Well, what in the world is he talking about here? This is an image, a metaphor. Think of portions. When people do diets, I talk about portion control. Portion has to do with food, okay? David is saying here, God is my portion. What is he meaning in this? Okay, so imagine now for lunch that you go to a buffet, pick whatever your favorite buffet is, and there's all this food before you. You're not worried about diet, calories, You're not doing any of that today. You just see this buffet spread of food. What are you gonna pick out? Whatever makes your mouth water the most, whatever you enjoy eating the most. You're gonna run to that and get that. If I'm at the buffet, I'm going to skip the salad line. If I'm not worried about calories, I'm going to go straight for the dessert section. I'm going to find what is most satisfying. That's going to be my portion for the day. If my kids pick out their food, it's going to be nothing but desserts. That's their portion, what satisfies them, what they like the most. That's what David is saying here. He said, in all the thousands of things before me in this life, God, you are what I'm picking by your grace. You are what I want. You are what satisfies me. You're the chocolate cake to me, not the salad. You're whatever is the most satisfying thing to me. Sorry, that's really mean right before lunchtime, right? Right? The point here is, he's looking at all the things the world offers. We're looking at all the things he can run after. He's saying, God is my portion. He is what satisfies. He's what gives me hope. He's what gives me joy. He's what gives me peace. He is what I want. God is all satisfying. That's the same image there in verse 5 of the Lord is my cup. He's choosing the sweetest drink, the finest wine. He's saying, God, you are the best thing out there. When we see portion and cup in scripture here, it's the image of complete contentment, that God is all satisfying. How does thinking about God being all satisfied remind us of his care for us? Well, friends, it frees us so much from all the things that typically distract us and all the things that we worry about so much. It reminds us that God is what we need, and he is the one who loves us so much that he not only is caring for us, but he wants to satisfy us. He wants to fill us. We need him, and he stands ready to fill us and meet our need. God is faithful, God is relational, God is just, God is all-satisfying. Number five, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. What do I mean by sovereign? Sovereign is, you think of it as a political term. We have sovereignty in the United States over what happens in our country. We use sovereignty to speak of nations. Sovereignty means the right to rule. That means that God is the ruler. He is all-powerful. He has the right to do whatever he wants to do with anything that he's made, and we have no right to question or complain that, that he is absolutely sovereign over all things, and nothing can stop him. Where do we see that? Verses five and six. At the end of verse five, he says, you hold my lot. Then in verse six, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. What in the world is he talking about? Lots, lines, and inheritance. What is he meaning here? This is imagery, and this is poetry. So this is very different than our study of Ephesians, where it's more black and white just laid out. This is images for us. This takes people back to the Jewish hearers of the time, back to when they got the promised land. And when they got the promised land, each group was given a lot. Think about a lot in a neighborhood, a portion of land. They were given a lot, and that lot had boundary lines around it. And then their families and the generations to come, the inheritances that would come would be the land that would follow. So lot, line, inheritance is all imagery of God giving to the people the land. So what's happening with that? The people were to be content with the lot they received. The people were to be content with where God had put them in the land. And so David's is using that image to remind us that God is sovereign over our lives. He's holding our lives. He has ordained our days. He's planned for us to be where we are. And he's even using our trials for his purposes. And we can trust him. Friends, that means you're in Montgomery, Alabama today. Not by accident. Not because of even choices you made. But because of God's sovereign plan. He's put you here for such a time as this. Even the difficulties you're facing are part of God's sovereign plan. He's going to use us to do things that you cannot even imagine. His sovereign control. He's given you the lot, the lines, inheritance you have for His sovereign purposes. How does focusing on His sovereignty grow our confidence in His care? It reminds us that nothing is happenstance that our lives are not meaningless... and just going through circumstances... but God is directing the path of our lives... that God cares for us and loves us so much... He's directing the path of our lives... and even the trials He can use... to bring great good to us and to others as well. So God is faithful, God is relational... God is just, God is satisfying, God is sovereign. Number six, God is wise. He has all wisdom, God is wise. Look at verse seven. It says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Just think about that. He says, I bless the Lord... ...who gives me counsel. God knows everything. There's nothing hidden from His sight. And God chooses to reveal to us His wisdom. He does not hide it from us. That's the treasure of His word for us. He's revealed His will to us. And so David can say, go down to verse 11. Very emphatically here. You make known to me the path of life. The God who knows everything communicates His wisdom to us... ...to direct the path of our life focusing on God's wisdom grows our confidence in his care because it reminds us that we have everything we need from God. He's given us everything we need to walk out this life and no matter what trial or difficulty we're walking through, God has given us all that we need to equip us to walk faithfully in him even in the hardships. God is wise. So God is faithful. God is relational. God is just. God is all satisfying. God is sovereign. God is all wise. Homestretch here number seven. God is omnipresent. Omni-all-present where he is. God is everywhere might be a more modern way of saying it. God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. Look at verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. He says, I set the Lord always before me. Not that he can make God be there. He's simply acknowledging and taking time to reflect that God is already there where he is. Wherever David goes, God is there. He cannot escape God being there with him. But God's not there passively just watching He says, he is at my right hand. Again, this is a poetic image. A person at your right hand was a person who stands by you in court to help you when you're in court. It's a person in battle who stands by you to help you fight the battle that you're in. He's saying, God is right there with me everywhere I go, and he stands ready to be involved and to help. God is everywhere. We focus on that. It grows our confidence in his care. Because it reminds us there's no situation you'll be in that God's not there. There's no place you can go where God is not there. There's no situation you'll ever find yourself where God is not standing ready to help you overcome that temptation, to give you the grace you need to do that ministry. Whatever he's set before you, he is right there with you to give you the help you need to do what he's put you to do in that situation. God is faithful. God is relational. God is just. God is all satisfying. God is sovereign. God is wise. God is and Last one. God is eternal. God is eternal. No beginning, no end. God is not bound by space and time like we are. it makes our minds hurt that he has no beginning, that before there was even time, 10 trillion years before time even existed, God already was there and God will have no end. He's always existed and always will. Friends, that means even when we die, look down at verse 10 here, he's still there. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Sheol was the Hebrew concept of death. He's saying here, even when I face death, you will not let me see corruption. You're not going to let me see separation from you. God is eternal. And when we dwell on that, it gives us much confidence in his care because even our eternity is safe in his hands. The God who's outside of time can control not only our lives now, but can guide us and will be with us forever. It reminds us our eternity is certain as well, and he will not abandon us in death. And these verses, those are just eight attributes of God. If you were here two years ago on Wednesday nights, we walked through 21 attributes of God and have seen the depths of who he is. But the point for this morning is simply this. Do you see what David has done? In verse 1, he's at a place of desperation. Rescue me, God. In verses 2 to 7, he doesn't just sit by passively going, God, rescue me. I'm going to sit here and wait. He starts dwelling on the character of his God. And he starts dwelling on God's faithfulness. He starts dwelling on the fact that God is near to him in relation. He starts dwelling on the justice of God and how to make all wrongs right. He starts dwelling on how satisfying God is. He starts dwelling about how sovereign and ruling God is... ...and how wise God is and how present God is and how eternal God is. And when he does all that, what happens? His desperation becomes confidence. And he is able to say, I will not be shaken. My heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. David became confident in God's care when he focused on the character of God. Because that's a huge lesson for us, because we will face trials too, and you and I, in those hard days, can find confidence in God's care as well, when we do what David did, when we go back and we think about the character and the nature of God, at least to two important things I want to make sure we don't miss in this, and we think about how this applies to our life. Number one is this: realize that David knew God's character well enough to be able to meditate on it in his distress. David knew the character of God well enough to be able to meditate and think about it in his distress. Look at verse 7. It's a fascinating verse here. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. So he's saying, God counsels me, but even while I'm asleep, my heart is instructing me. This is an image for us that his heart is so full, his heart here being an image of his soul, his inner person. His inner person is so full of thoughts of God's character, his nature, the sovereignty of God, the eternality of God, the bigness of God, all these things that God's word gives us in all of him. His heart is so full of who God is. Even when he sleeps at night, his heart, his soul is reminding him of the nature of God because he's so fed that all day long. That raises the question for us. Do we take enough time to study the word of God? to meet with him, to learn his character, to be in awe of him, so much so that even when we sleep at night, we wake up in the morning with our hearts having instructed us all night long because we filled our minds with thoughts of God all day. David had so knew the character of Yahweh, this God that he knew in a personal way. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. He knew the character of God so well that even as he slept, his heart instructed him on that. Friends, if we're not in a trial now, Hang on because it's coming. In this life, we will face hardships. James 1 tells us we'll face hardships and trials of many kinds. So friends, we need to make sure now we're pouring into the word of God to learn the nature and the character of God. So when that trial hits, we're not desperately clinging to try to find something. We have so anchored ourselves in the nature of who God is and his sovereignty and all these attributes that we can say with David with confidence, I know God cares for me even though this is a hard situation because we've so fed ourselves the word of God. David knew the character of God well enough in his distress to to know who God was. But number two, David had other believers who helped him stay focused on God. David had other believers who helped him stay focused on God. Look at verse 3. We really need a whole sermon on verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight in the midst of all this discussion of of the bigness of God and his power and his presence being near and how amazing God is, he just interjects this. As for the saints in the land, they're the excellent ones. And whom is all my delight? David delighted in the company of God's people. Why? Well, there's a whole multitude of reasons, but one reason why we as followers of God delight in the company of other people is God works through other people to remind us of who he is. And that's why I believe this mixed tom here was David sharing what God has shown him with others because he wanted to encourage these people that he loved. So friends, that raises the question for us. Are we surrounding ourselves with other believers who will remind us of the character of God? Are we surrounding ourselves with other believers who will remind us of the character of God? It's not bad for us to get together and have fellowships where we eat and talk sports and weather and trivia. There's nothing wrong with that. But are we going beyond that? It's Christian community for us at Gateway, one that just we enjoy hanging out, but a place where we're speaking of the character and the nature of God to one another. So when we're in hardships, we have people who come alongside us and remind us that God is sovereign, that God is eternal, that God is near, that God is all-powerful, that God cares for us, that God is all-wise, that God has given us His wisdom. Do we have people speaking that into our lives? And then likewise that, friends, the question is, are we doing that for others? We're not supposed to sit around and wait for somebody to do that for us. Are we pursuing community? Are we pursuing deep relationships, authentic relationships with one another so that we can hold up the word of God in each other's lives and speak the truth and love to one another like we saw in Ephesians? Are we surrounding ourselves with other believers who will hold up the character of God so whether we're in a good day or a hard day, we're reminded of his amazing nature so that we ourselves can have confidence and not be shaken like he was? Friends, David knew... The character of God. David had people around him who pointed him back to the character of God. And he celebrates for us here in this psalm, something that should lead us to worship. That God in his infinite grace, like we saw some weeks ago, never promised that life would be easy, but He's promised to give us peace. He's promised to be with us always. He's promised to remind us of who he is, and that becomes an anchor for us so that we can walk with God in this life no matter what we face. And God not only has given us his word to that, he's given us one another, these precious brothers and sisters, to walk this journey with us, that we might encourage one another and point each other back to the character of God. Friends, we can be confident in God's care for us, and we can help one another be confident in his care for us as well. Would you pray with me? God, we are thankful for your kindness to us. God, that you've not let yourself be a mystery to who you are or if you're there. But, God, you've written it in the heavens to show us that there's a glorious God. You've revealed it in your written word. You've shown it in the person of Christ that you are there and that you are real and that you care. I thank you for showing us your attributes, your characteristics, that you didn't leave us guessing what your nature was like. But, God, you've shown us that you're holy and you've shown us that you're just and you've shown us that you're all-powerful and you've shown us that you're everywhere and you've shown us, Lord, that you're eternal. And on and on we go, God, you have revealed yourself to us. And, Lord, we are so incredibly thankful for that. Where thank you seem so inadequate to think that you, Yahweh, the great I am, Jehovah, the almighty God, has revealed yourself to us, to where we can call you my Lord, my pulse, my master, my friend. And to think that, Lord, whether or not this week has been an easy week or a hard week for us, think that whether this upcoming week will be an easy week or a week full of trials, well, regardless, you are right here with us, caring for us. Lord, I pray for each of these precious brothers and sisters. God, this week, whatever they face, God, they will be reminded day by day by day of your incredible care for them if they are in Christ. Or if there's anybody here who's not a follower of Christ, Lord, I pray they would see the beauty, the joy of being in relationship with the great I Am, the Creator who spoke the universe into being and who speaks to His children. And Lord, for those of us who know you, I pray that today you might anchor us even more firmly in your character. God, that you give us a hunger to run to your word, to discover more of who you are, Lord, to to see more all of your greatness. Lord, would you increase our hunger for you? And would you increase our appetite for you to where we could say like David said, God, you are my portion. You're my cup, Lord. Give us that hunger for you. And the more we hunger, the more we know you'll satisfy that. I pray this week for myself and these brothers and sisters that this week we would find our satisfaction in you, God and you alone. But God, as well, I pray this week you would give us much boldness. You would put people in your sovereign plan all around us who need to be reminded that you are near and you care. And help us not be timid to speak of your character. Help us not be timid to talk of your greatness, but to rather encourage one another more and more each day. we thank you for all these things and give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing to the great I am of how amazing he is?